Before I start my prepared message, I'd like to read a couple passages of Scripture. The first one is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between the two. And then I'd like to read from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. And this is from the lectionary passages for today. That he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And he called the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what are God's ultimate intentions for our world and for our lives? Maybe that's not a question you often think of, but it's one that I wrestle with. It's a pretty big question. I, under, I understand that and I get it. But over the years, what I've come to understand or what I've come to believe is that I think God intends for our life and our world shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M. It's a word that's very familiar in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a word that is rich with meaning, and it's probably not one we use every day, but it is predominantly in the Old Testament. In fact, it shows up 397 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Shalom is a word that means peace, but it's more than an absence of conflict or lack of violence. It indicates wholeness. It indicates, com indicates completeness, fullness, salvation, which is another way of saying wholeness, it indicates flourishing. So when I ask myself that question, what are God's ultimate intentions for our world and for our lives? This is the word that comes to my mind. One of my favorite passages in the Hebrew scriptures is from the book of Hosea. And as Hosea offered these words about Israel's return to God, this is what Hosea has to say. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I'll be like the dew to Israel, and he shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forests of Lebanon. His shoots will spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. And they shall again live beneath his shadow. And they shall flourish as a garden. Let me say that last sentence again. They shall flourish as a garden. Now, I believe the language here is intentional, that is, flourish like a garden, because I believe that's a reference 
to the Garden of Eden that we read about in the beginning of the scriptures. In essence, it's God's intention to get us back into that state and condition that is described in the first chapters of Genesis, one of harmony, one of mutuality, one of goodness, one of communion, one of deep connection with God, one of trusting God for all that we need, one of caring for one another and for all of creation. And the word Eden actually literally means delight. And I like to think that God intends for us to live in a way that we delight in one another that we delight in all of creation, that we live with this deep awareness that God delights in you and I. When we delight in something, there's pleasure, there's satisfaction, and there's fullness. We have everything we need, and there is a sense of peaceful contentment. In effect, it takes us back to that word shalom, completeness, wholeness, fullness, salvation, and flourishing. So what is God's ultimate intentions for our world and for our lives? I believe it's shalom. I believe it's peace. I believe it is wholeness. But if God's intentions for us are wholeness, harmony, peace, and shalom, then we realize, or at least I realize, that we're not always living in that way or in that place. Rather, we often live from a place of brokenness. And Genesis tells us that story well. God created our world as a place in which we would experience flourishing, fullness of life, delight, and goodness. So what happened? What went wrong? What went awry? Why the brokenness? Well, here's my quick take on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I mean a really, really quick take. First, humanity breaks faith with God by not trusting God that God has their best interests at heart. This is what happens to Adam and Eve in chapter 3. Their lack of trust leads to self-interest, and their lack of trust has them wanting to be like God. So they break faith with God. They lack trust in God. So from that point on, it turns into, as it always does, into a broken life of pain and struggle. There's blaming. There's accusing. There's isolation. And there's hiding from God. And we see all of that in the story of Adam and Eve. They start blaming one another. They start accusing one another. They start isolating. They start hiding from God. These are all, I think, manifestations of our own brokenness. And then Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. And our lives are often lived outside of the intention God has for us. And we long to get back there, but it always feels like it's just beyond us. And then this brokenness increases in envy and jealousy, and it ends up in anger and violence and murder, as we see in the story of Cain and Abel, as Cain kills Abel, and he no longer feels responsibility to care and be his brother's keeper. In fact, he, he asks that question, am I to be my brother's keeper? And we no longer feel connected and no longer feel the need to look out for one another. You see the trajectory of the human condition here. We move away out of mutuality and harmony and living in peace and shalom with God and one another. We move away from that into lives of distrust and lives of blaming and lives of scapegoating, lives of isolating. And then we live outside of God's intentions because we feel like maybe we can do it better. We can take better care of ourselves. And then brokenness increases and envy and jealousy and ends up in anger and violence and ends up us looking out just only for our own self. And then we get to the days of Noah in chapter 6 where it says the earth was filled with violence and violence wrecks the world. And God basically does a do-over. I only share that to simply give this sense of how the trajectory of the human condition often ends up. 
In these first 11 chapters, we're given this 30,000 foot view of the human condition, what God intended and what is reality. That God's intentions for us is that of wholeness, fullness, peace, and shalom, but that in our brokenness, we live in a world and our hearts are often in a place where we live outside of God's intentions and we seek to make a name for ourselves. We seek to be like God and when we do, our brokenness will often manifest itself in blaming and scapegoating and hiding from one another and God and refusing to look out for one another and creating rivalries out of covetousness and jealousy, which leads to anger, which ultimately leads to violence. In fact, I would suggest this. We don't live in a violent world as much as we live in a broken world that is in need of wholeness and peace. And when we lack that inward peace and wholeness, our souls are often left open to forces of isolation, jealousy, rivalry, greed, pride, and self-interest. And when those go unchecked, the bitter fruit of all of that is violence. For violence is often this extreme response to our own sense of security, well-being, and our, push, and, our, and our personhood. And feeling threatened, we go into this extreme self-protection and survival mode. And consequently, violence is its own cycle in which violence only begets more violence. So to try and stop violence with violence only leads to more violence. And at some point, the cycle needs to be broken. At some point, the chain needs to be broken. And that, I believe, is what God in Christ came to humanity to do, to break the cycle and the chain of violence through sacrificial love. Now, I've just kind of taken us from Genesis to the New Testament in a very short amount of time. Now, when we think of violence, we may often think of horrific scenes of war or violence within cities, but there are other faces of violence that are far more subtle, but even yet real. There's the violence of words, how we converse and interact with one another in our words. In fact, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount um, says that words can often flow from a heart of contempt. So violence of words has to do with the kind of words we, we use with each other. Even if we use words like fool and idiot, calling people idiots, those are words of contempt, contempt in our heart that we have for others. And so there is a violence of words that we often use in public, in conversations, and sometimes even on social media. There's the violence of ignoring and avoiding others. Um, sometimes we do that with the, with the intent to hurt and isolate. There's an author by the name of Morton Kelsey who once wrote, one of the most virulent forms of rejection is avoiding people. Studiously avoiding others or ignoring them is usually more hostile and violent them blowing up at them or striking them with their hand. Now that may be overstated, I, I will grant you that, but I think he makes a good point that when we intentionally ignore or avoid people to hurt them, that is a form of emotional violence by cutting them off. I think today's language we would often say that we ghost them because we want to hurt them in some way or get back at them. And then there is the violence of soul. Thomas Merton was um, a monk who talked about this violence of soul. It's not something that we often think about. But he would say that we live at such a frantic pace that we often can't bring a presence of peace to our world. And this is what he had to say. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. 
to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. And I think sometimes there's also, along with this violence of soul, there is this anxiety that builds up in us. And anxiousness, if it does anything, makes us protective. Anxiousness, if it does anything, helps us not to think clearly. Anxiousness, if it does anything, uh, creates barriers between us and others because we tend to overthink and we tend to mind read. And we tend to guess at maybe what's going to happen or how things may end up. So even in our own anxiousness, we do a kind of violence to our soul because it, it causes us not to be able to think clearly and show up in a way that is calm. And then there is the violence of the body, where we attack, we hurt, we violate, and we even kill. And even Jesus reminds us that all of this can start in the heart. So all of these are manifestations of violence, but they are the bitter, bitter fruit of our own brokenness. And when our brokenness becomes complicit with the brokenness of others, it is this very, very volatile mix. Well, what does it look like to discover peace? Um, in the midst of all this, because peace outwardly often begins inwardly. Well, first I would offer this. Being open to the healing grace of God in Christ brings wholeness to our life, brings wholeness to our own brokenness, and thus creates within our own hearts a sense of peace. In a passage I read from Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul um, wrote, I'll read it again, for he is our peace, he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. We experience this peace when we receive, um, when we live in God's love rather than our own sense of shame and self-disappointment. We experience this peace when it's God's love we experienced first rather than the sting of our rejection and failure. We no longer feel as if we have to prove our worth or fight for our self-worth. It's validated in God's love for us. We experience this peace when we live as fully as possible into the forgiveness of God. And remember, we're not perfect. And God's forgiveness is unconditional, and we often have a harder time forgiving ourselves. This healing grace of God in Christ that brings wholeness to our own brokenness is this receiving of the love of God for our own emotions, for our own hurt, our own pain, our own brokenness. A Methodist pastor, Jim Harnish, wrote these words a few years ago. Peacemaking begins in our own souls. In the deep places of our human psyche, where we wrestle with anger, hostility, and violent emotions. It is the outward expression of an inner life of peace that is nurtured by a growing relationship with Christ. It simply will not do to attempt to bear witness to peacemaking with an angry spirit. Like everything else in a Christian person's life, such witness must flow from a center of redemptive love. This really is an invitation to allow the living Christ to heal us in our most broken places, to heal us in our most wounded places, to heal us in the places that we hurt the most. 
Because when we lack peace in those areas, when I lack peace in those areas, I often cannot bring peace to a broken world. And often what I do is I bring out those places of violence, violence of soul, sometimes violence of words, uh, sometimes uh, violence of how I treat people, how I ignore them, how I isolate them. That violence comes from those places of hurt and pain in our own life. Well, second, we bring a peacemaking presence to our world as everyday peacemakers when we live lives of sacrificial love, reconciliation, and forgiveness. And I think this is what it means in large part to take up our cross as Jesus invites his followers to do. In the passage that I read uh, uh, from Mark, Jesus invites us to take up our cross. And I believe that is to choose to live in the way of sacrificial love, of reconciliation, and forgiveness rather than retaliation, vengeance, hostility, and rejection. It's living in the spirit of Jesus' own words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And finally, as we are experiencing peace inwardly, and as we begin to live it outwardly, we become those who help to break the chain of violence, as I said earlier, or to break that cycle of violence. And this, I think, goes back to what it means to take up our cross, because when we take up our cross, as Jesus invites us to do, as we live lives of sacrificial love, we do our part to break that chain of violence, to break that cycle of violence. There is a, uh, there is a writer, uh, Sandra Crock, a Quaker writer who has passed away, that writes about what it looks like to break this chain of violence. And this is kind of an extended quote, but I think her words are very important, and I would like to share them with you because I think it speaks very plainly and very practically to what it looks like to how we can break this chain of violence in our life and in the world around us. We all know, she writes, the experience of passing along our hurts, our wounds, and our unsatisfied demands to our children, our friends, or even acquaintances, only to have them do the same to us. We're all enmeshed in this chain of hurt and violence. The familial, social, political, and e economic structure of our world have all been shaped in some degree by hatred, distrust, bitterness, and self-centeredness. Those fallen structures impinge in our lives, wounding us. She then asks this question. How can this chain reaction be broken? If one person were to accept all the anger and hurt of this chain, but not pass it along, if one person could take upon himself or herself the hurt and anger and still show forth love, the force of the chain would be broken forever. Not only would the domino effect of the hatred be stopped before it could grip others, but those who were already enmeshed might have a chance to be released by the power of such love. And then she concludes with these words. This is exactly what Christ has done. By taking the hate of the world upon himself, and responding with love and forgiveness. He has broken the chain of hatred and violence, which gripped the world, insofar as our lives continue to be ruled by our hurts and our selfishness. We remain links in this chain. When we accept Christ's healing love and respond to his transforming power, our link in the chain is broken open. We then become reflectors of his love for people whose lives are still bound by their fears, hatreds, and hurts. Now I've given you, I think, uh, or shared with you a very 
probably quick and um, and extended uh, view of peace and shalom and violence. In other words, uh, I've given you a lot. Um, starting with the question, what does God intend for our world? And I believe that is shalom and peace and wholeness. What is the present condition of our world? And I believe that is often uh, a mix of wholeness and brokenness, that we go between the two, that there are days that we live our lives uh, out of this wholeness and out of this peace, but there are days that we live our lives out of our own brokenness, or we get caught up in the brokenness of the world, or we get caught up and enmeshed in the brokenness of others. And so there is that tension, that push-pull that we live with. And then there is the violence, as I shared, that often we exact on others because it's violence that has been exacted on us. The violence of soul, the violence of overwork and compulsive activity, the violence of isolating people, of ghosting people, of rejecting people, the violence of competition and rivalry, the, the violence of jealousy, the violence of envy, the violence of covetousness, the violence of not wanting to look out for others but only looking out for ourselves, which at its most extreme can lead to physical and bodily violence that hurts and diminishes others, sometimes murders others, but can violate others. And that's the trajectory that we saw in the book of Genesis where we started out in this Garden of Eden, this place of delight where God intends for us to live in mutuality and harmony. And, and that Genesis the first 11 chapters or so shows us that the trajectory, if we are not mindful and careful, will often lead to not looking out for one another, will often lead to uh, violence being a pervasive narrative in our world. So what, why all this, this uh, conversation around violence and peace? Well, I, I share that message to set up something I want to read and share with you. At our next monthly meeting for business, um, which will be the second Thursday in March, um, we are going to present to monthly meeting for consideration a statement on um, peace and nonviolence. And this statement, or this minute, I should say, um, has been uh, looked over and discerned and, and tweaked and, um, and, and, and written by our ministering council. Started uh, as a concern from our ministering council, Clark Dave Smith, and he brought it to uh, ministering council. We worked with it. We took it to our last monthly meeting and took it back to ministering council, uh, as Quakers often do, to kind of discern more and to let it season and, and to listen to the spirit even more um, as to what needed to be put into words. So at our next monthly meeting for business, uh, we are going to consider this minute. And in fact, uh, we sent this minute out in um, our newsletter, which should come out this next week. We will also include it and upcoming email so you can look at it. Um, one of the commitments I've made to myself is I'm going to read this minute every day until our monthly meeting for business to pray over it, to listen to it, to see how Spirit speaks to me through it. And when you receive it, either through the email or through the newsletter, and if you don't get it through either one, please let us know and we'll send it to you, I would invite you to read it um, numerous times and pray over it and pray through it and listen to it as to how it speaks to you. But I'd like to read it now, and then after I read it, we're going to um, listen and um, watch another song by Mark, and then I'll come back for some closing words. We, the Friends of Deep River Friends Meeting in High Point, North Carolina, acknowledge that much of 2020 was challenging, not only in our personal lives, but also collectively to our nation. 
Through this past year, we have witnessed violence and counterviolence. In response, we call upon ourselves and all others to be in prayerful consideration, to always answer others with compassionate and tender hearts in the way of Jesus, and to resist aggressive feelings that can often lead to violence. We affirm the core testimonies of our living Quaker tradition, specifically the testimonies of simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and service. As we seek to live faithfully in the way of peace and nonviolence, we respectfully acknowledge the calling of those who have served in the armed services and law enforcement. We respect each person's personal point of view. With this respect, we invite all to always consider a different way, the way of nonviolence and peace, and how that approach would look in one's own life as an everyday peacemaker. We stand in solidarity with all who seek peace, equality, justice, and nonviolence in our world. We stand against the way of violence, as well as the actions of those who seek to undermine the efforts of peace, equality, and justice. We pray that the light of God would find its way through the darkness that is often present in our world. And we ask all to answer the call to love our neighbor as ourselves by seeking and seeing that of God in each person we meet. The scriptures remind us that those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. That's from James chapter 3, verse 18. May we all seek to be everyday peacemakers so that our lives sow the seeds of justice and our world reaps the fruit of peace. In Christ peace, Deep River Friends Meeting, third month, 11th day, 2021. That is March 11th, 2021. And this will be brought uh, to our monthly meeting for business for discernment and, and consideration.